This life-changing message comes to you from Church of the Harvest. It's our prayer that this message will inspire your life and bring hope to your future. We've been talking about um, the power of words. It's what uh, our pastor had wanted me to, to uh, talk about while he was out. And so in backtracking just a little bit, you know, we established the very first week, three weeks ago, that words are very powerful. Out of everything that God could have chosen to create the earth, he gave the power to words, right? He said, let there be light, and there was what? There was light. And so we, we said, we established in the beginning that God shaped the world with his words. He, he shaped everything to perfection with his words. We came along, little peon human beings, and we messed it all up, right? And so what does he do? He sends his son, the word, into the earth, who comes as our redeemer, and bridges that relationship back with the Father again, right? And now I talked about how we shape the world with our words and how people speak to us and they can speak words that build us up. They can speak words that tear us down, right? And talked about how our words are powerful. They say the tongue is the only tool that grows sharper with use, right? And the third thing I mentioned that first week is we change the world with our words, with, actually with his words, and that, we see that through the Great Commission. He told us to go, right, and to speak words. And those words would change the world. And then the next week I talked about words that hurt. We went into this. We're talking about we established how words can be so devastating to us that it can even affect our physical bodies, right? We can have a physical response to negative, devastating words that are spoken over us. But it can impact us emotionally. It can impact our purpose, and it can impact our destiny. And then secondly, not only can people's words devastate us, but our words devastate others, right? And we were talking about we are what we say. People will know us and what we're truly about by the words that come forth from this hole in our face, right? It says a lot about us. Um, and we talked about how most of us have probably never beaten up or abused our children, but most of us have probably said words that were a bit abusive from our mouth to our children. And we've got to be very careful and our culture has made it really cool to talk about and to criticize people. But in this world, we're the only Jesus that many people will ever know. And we've got to be very careful how we use this powerful tool that God's given us. And I told you the three things, like they say, to always ask yourself before you say something to someone, is it kind? I'm sorry, the first one, is it true? Is it true? Is it kind? What was the last one? Is it necessary? That's a big one. If we ask ourselves those three questions before we speak to somebody, it can make a huge difference. And the last thing I mentioned was only God can heal the wounds of words. A lot of us may be, you know, in our 50s, 60s, 70s, and we're still carrying the wounds of words that were spoken over us as a child. But we talked about in 1 Peter, in chapter 5, he says that as we seek God in the midst of the trials and the tribulations, that God will perfect us or repair us. He will establish us, strengthen us, and settle us. We've got to lean on him. Last week, we talked about the words that heal Words can devastate, they can scar, but words can also build up. And words of encouragement have the ability to impact somebody for a lifetime, but with hope and with purpose. And so that's what, that was number one, words of encouragement can impact for a lifetime. We talked about that, not letting foul words come out of your mouth from, from Ephesians chapter 4. We talked about how we were commanded in Ephesians chapter 4 to build up one another. And that word build up was that Greek word, how do you say it again? Oikodome which actually was a construction term, talked about renovating an old dilapidated house and not just bringing it back up to its original condition, but increasing its value. 
And that's what we've been called to do, is to use the tool that God has given us, words, to increase the value of one another. Secondly, I mentioned was encouragement is not just needed, it's critical. Because in the United States today, a recent survey showed that the ratio of criticism to encouragement in the U.S. is six to one. We speak six words of criticism before we speak one word of encouragement. And we wonder why our marriages are going down the tubes and why our children are a disaster, why our workplaces are so toxic, because we're speaking out of that ratio of six to one. And then uh, we talked about how in that, in Proverbs chapter 11, uh, Solomon said, those who refresh others will themselves be refreshed. And that was the last thing, number three, encouragement reaps encouragement. As we refresh and replenish others with our words, we're going to reap that back ourselves. Then I passed out cards. How many of you would admit you actually used your card this week that I passed it? Okay, okay, man, quite a few, awesome. How many of you would say you at least gave a word of encouragement to somebody this week? It's awesome. I think it's one of the most powerful things we can do in the body of Christ, one another, is speak a word of encouragement. So I wanted to wrap up today, as I told you last week I was going to do, talking about words of faith. We've established that words are powerful, and we've got to be careful of the words we speak. And actually, I want to touch on this for a minute before I go further into this. We many times say things that we don't think about first. We say things flippantly, and the Bible talks about that, and I think it's in your notes. You should have some notes in your service guide there. I'm going to start there in Matthew chapter 12. And in Matthew chapter 12, verse 36, Jesus speaks about this. And he says, But I say to you that for every idle word men may speak, they will give account of it in the day of judgment. For by your words you will be justified, and by your words you will be condemned. Boy, that scripture gets me every time I look at it. We will be held accountable for every idle word that proceeds forth from our mouth. Idle word, if you look it up, it just simply means unproductive. It doesn't even necessarily just mean bad, like curse word or something. It means every unproductive word because our words are so powerful. We've got to be careful of every idle, unproductive word that comes forth. You know, sounds silly, but we say things like, I am just dying for a piece of chocolate cake. We say these things over and over again. Or we say, I love peanut butter. I love it. Our society doesn't even know what love is anymore because we love everything. We don't even know what the true meaning of love is because we use love so flippantly. Isn't that true? We just throw the word around like it means nothing. We say things flippantly over our children. Idle words that may be true, we've got to be very careful (laughs) what we say. Andrew Womack, a quote from him, he said, every time you say things that you don't really mean, it begins to numb your heart. Unconsciously, every idle word is making it just a little bit harder to believe what you say will actually come to pass when you actually mean it and it actually counts. Y'all get that? We have got to be careful of the idle words that come forth from our mouth. Because you guys know that the more we speak something, the more we believe it. Even if it's idle. And when we believe something, belief is faith. We can actually begin, because of our idle words, to build our faith and believe something that's totally contrary to God's word because we were just speaking idly. 
And those words have great power. Amen? Our words of faith can affect the physical world. And listen, this applies to non-believers. This is a law. Any of you ever read, um, read Lance Armstrong's biography? You go in and you read it. What an incredible story, before all the doping and all that. Um, his story of getting testicular cancer, right? You know, I remember reading that book, and the doctors ended up telling him that he had about 20% chance of survival. And the doctors go on to admit that they just said that to try and give him a little bit of hope because they did not expect him to survive. They said um, that the cancer, the testicular cancer had spread into his brain and his lungs and his abdomen, and the doctors among themselves figured he had no chance. And he went through all kinds of therapies and different things. But you know what it says in the book? Now, this is a self-professing atheist, okay? This is not a believer. In the book, he said, I don't want to get weird here, realizing where his cancer was, Everywhere, every time he went to the bathroom, he would curse at his cancer. And I'm not saying like curse it in the name of Jesus. I mean like cuss at it. Does that make sense? Seriously. Net brother, he can't race in any of the big races anymore, but he is racing again. He's doing charity events and different things. And he is as strong as he's ever been. And he's completely cancer free. The words of our mouth are very powerful, believer or not. And words of faith are very powerful, whether you are a believer or not. Does that make sense? Y'all turn with me uh, real quick. I want to get going in uh, Mark chapter 11, which I, I think is in your notes there. And we read this the first week, but I, I, wanted, to, I wanted to take it from here, go back to this for just a minute. Mark chapter 11, starting in verse 13. And this is, y'all know this story, uh, Jesus when he encounters the fig tree. Let's look at it together for just a moment. And seeing from afar... A fig tree having leaves, he went to it to see if perhaps he would find something on it. And when he came to it, he found nothing but leaves, for it was not the season for figs. And in response, Jesus said to it, Let no one eat fruit from you ever again. And what's it say? His disciples heard it. What did they hear? They heard his words, right? And then if you go on down to to, uh, verse 20, it says, Now in the morning, this is the next morning, As they passed by, they saw the fig tree dried up from the roots. And Peter, remembering, said to him, Rabbi, look, the fig tree which you cursed has withered away. So Jesus answered him and said, Have faith in God, for assuredly I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, be removed and cast into the sea, and do not doubt in his heart, but believes that those things he says will be done, he will have whatever he says. Therefore I say to you, whatever things you ask when you pray, believe that you receive them, and you shall have them. So we see here that Peter is remembering the words that Jesus spoke. Peter learned a lesson in words that day. And Jesus explained, Jesus goes on to explain in this passage that it's not just the fig tree. He used the, he used the mountain as an example. Wouldn't that be awesome to see one day? Mountain, get up and move. But it's possible Word of faith, spoken in Jesus' name. And he says, actually, if you look back, it says, whoever says to this mountain. Is anybody in here a whoever? As the King James says, a whosoever. That means it applies to all of us. So our words of faith affect the natural world. Our words of faith affect the spiritual world. 
For followers of Jesus, it's a whole other matter because our words of faith are backed up by all the power and all the authority of heaven. And we talked about that the first day. When God spoke, He created the foundations of the earth. All authority, all power is in God's Word, right? So when we speak God's Word in faith, all the authority of heaven, all power is in those words. Amen? This is a really good thing. I don't see anybody excited. (laughs) We better move on because there's more. When we invoke the name of Jesus... We can believe that things are going to change. All of creation responds to Jesus' name. In John 14, 13, he said, Whatever you ask in my name, that I will do, that the Father be glorified in the Son. So understanding, he's he's passing that authority, his word, onto us in that scripture. Whatever you ask in my name, I will do. So we look at it and we we think about man's authority or man's dominion in the earth. In the beginning, man was placed into the garden. He was given authority and dominion, right? He was given authority and dominion over the earth. Once again, we messed it all up, right? Man lost his dominion and his authority over the earth. But Jesus sends his son, the word. And what happens? Man's dominion and authority is restored through the Redeemer. Make sense? So God created everything with his word, all power and authority is in his word, And so when we speak according to his word, in Jesus' name, it's Jesus speaking. It's the same response as if Jesus is speaking in that moment. Does that make sense? It's kind of like the example we used to use back in the day with the youth. You know, if I need need Aaron to come downstairs from his room, and I tell Lauren or Madison, go tell Aaron to get his butt down here. And they go up there, Aaron, get your butt down here. What are they going to do? They're going to be like, but if they walk up there and say, dad said, you better get your butt down here. He's going to look up. Oh no. You know, if dad said it like that, there's a problem, right? And so understanding that when we speak in Jesus name, it's like, it's like signing off a letter. We're not signing that letter. Jesus is. Making a declaration. When we speak over something or to a situation in our life, we speak to it. We, we don't sign our name to that declaration. Jesus' name is signed to that declaration. And that changes everything. Amen? Now, understanding the greatest display of God's power, the greatest display, display of that power is in Acts chapter 4. In Acts chapter 4, verse 12 from the NIV, it says, Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to men by which we must be saved. As the name of Jesus is powerful. That is where our salvation, our redemption comes through the name of Jesus. We were talking about it for a minute this morning. In the Jewish culture, names were very important. And the name represented the person. Does that make sense? The name of Jesus carried so much weight in our culture today, names and titles don't carry the weight that they used to. But that's what gets me about those hymns. It makes me stop and reflect on that again and go, man, the power and the majesty of Jesus. That name that's above every name that every knee will bow to. The power. We forget the power. Jesus is our high priest. Jesus, it's through him and his name that we have access to the Father. 
He was the one that bridged the gap. I had a thing that I read a while back that I wanted to, uh, I wanted to read to you guys. I thought this was awesome. But it's, it's some things about praying in Jesus' name. And I don't remember if I put that in the notes or not. But I want to give this to you real quick. Praying in Jesus' name, number one, is possible only if you are in Jesus. If you abide in me, my word's in you. Ask what you will and it shall be done. Number two, praying in the name of Jesus is to conform to his ways. Matthew chapter 20, it says, Whoever desires to be chief among you, let him be your servant, even as a son of man did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life a ransom. Number three, praying in Jesus' name is to use his name as our reference, which we just talked about. Number four, praying in Jesus' name is to pray according to his will. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Number five, praying in Jesus' name is to enforce in reality Jesus' victory on the cross. In Colossians chapter 2, it says, He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in Christ. Number six, to pray in the name of Jesus is to acknowledge his three important rules as prophet, counselor, and guide of our life, as priest and intercessor, as king and sovereign Lord. Number seven, to pray in the name of Jesus is to pray expectantly. When praying in the name of Jesus, we can expect that things will happen, things will change, because all power and authority is in his name, which comes to number eight, praying in the name of Jesus is to pray and minister in all his authority, which takes us back to the Great Commission that we read about at the end of the first week. In Matthew chapter 28, verse 18, it says, Jesus came and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and in earth. Go, therefore, Jesus is commissioning us, make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all the things I commanded you, and lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. Realizing there, those things he commands us to do. He commanded us to make disciples, we do that any number of ways. We do that through our actions, but we do it through our words. Baptizing them, the Father, the Son, the Holy Ghost, that's an action, but it's got words. Teaching them, that's words. It's our words that we spread the message of the love of Jesus. Amen? And then he continues it in Mark chapter 16 and verse 17. These signs will follow those who believe. In my name they will cast out demons. They will speak in new tongues. They will take up serpents. If they drink any deadly thing, will by no means hurt them. They will lay hands on the sick, and they will recover. In the name of Jesus. We've got to begin speaking to people, to situations, to circumstances in the name of Jesus. In faith, believing what God's word says. Not taking it lightly, but believing it. We have to proclaim the word. And we do this by faith. Things will change. Let me tell you. You may have never practiced this in your life, but you can speak to any situation. You can declare what God's word says over it in a moment. You know, Paul said, he said, I wish that you all would prophesy. And actually in 1 Corinthians 14, 31, he says, for you can all prophesy one by one that all may learn and be encouraged. I'm not talking about the gift of prophecy. I'm not talking about the office of a prophet. I'm talking about the root word of prophecy in the Bible. When, when it says to prophesy, it's talking about encouraging with the truth of God's word. So that's when somebody comes to you with a situation and they don't know what to do and, and maybe they're in fear. And you can say to them, you can look at them and you can say, you know what, what you're dealing with is fear, but let me declare for you in Jesus' name that God has not given you a spirit of fear but a power, love, and a sound mind. You will overcome this in Jesus' name. You're speaking prophetically to that situation. Does that make sense? Well, that person, you know, you could look at that and say, well, maybe God didn't give me a spirit of fear, but I am scared, so I'm not speaking the truth. Yes, you are. You're speaking the truth and the reality of God's word, which always trumps the reality of the world. That is a word of faith. Does that make sense? 
That's why we can speak of ourselves in a moment. And we can say, I am healed and whole. I walk in strength because by Jesus' stripes, I am already healed. Even when we don't see it in a moment, we speak by God's word. We speak prophetically to that situation and we call it what God's word says. Amen? Which brings us to the confession of our mouth. Well, we got to begin that, and that's what we're doing. We're declaring, we're confessing God's word. And so I, I began um, late last year, last fall, uh, getting Aaron to begin to confess. I, I gave him a confession. I wanted him to, I want him to begin to read. And he now reads it every day, uh, every evening. And it's a little long. I'm going to read it to you here right quick. And I, I know some of you are probably going to want to copy this, so I made a few copies. But, uh, but I just felt that it was really important that he began begun to declare what God's word says over his life. And so I, I can't remember, I, I made some changes to this, and I, I'm thinking maybe, I don't remember if I got parts of this from, from Joyce Myers, where it came, came from, but, but this is what we have our son declare over himself, and we have him read it every night, and we have him do it out loud so we can hear him. And here's what he says, y'all bear with me for just a minute. I love all people, I am loved by all people, I prosper in everything I put my hand to, I have prosperity in all the areas of my life, spiritually, financially, mentally, and socially. All my family are blessed in their deeds. We're blessed coming in and blessed going out. I take good care of my body. I eat right. I look right. I feel good. I weigh what God wants me to weigh. I operate in the gifts of the Holy Spirit. I speak in other tongues and interpretation of tongues, the working of miracles, discerning of spirits, the gift of faith, words of knowledge, words of wisdom, healings, and prophecy. I know God's voice, and I always obey what he tells me. The love of God has been shed abroad in my heart by the Holy Spirit. I do all my work excellently, and I make the most of my time. I'm creative because the Holy Spirit lives in me. I love to pray. I love to praise. I love to worship God. I will not speak negative words. I've humbled myself, and God exalts me. I am a giver. It is more blessed to give than to receive. I love to give. I have plenty to give away all the time. I cast my cares upon the Lord, for he cares for me. I don't give the devil a foothold in my life. I resist the devil, and he has to flee from me. I don't have a spirit of fear, but a power, love, and a sound mind. I'm not afraid of man. I'm not afraid of the anger of man. I am a new creature in Christ. Old things are passed away and all things are new. I have died and been raised with Jesus and I am now seated in heavenly places. I am dead to sin and alive to righteousness. I am a doer of the word. I meditate on God's word all day long. I am not passive about anything, but I deal with all things in my life immediately. I take every thought into captivity through the obedient, in, unto the obedience of Christ Jesus, casting down every imagination, every high and lofty thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. I am a responsible person. I enjoy responsibility. I rise to every responsibility in Jesus. I have been set free. I, I am free to love, free to worship, to trust, and with no fear of rejection or being hurt. I have compassion and understanding for all people. I catch the devil and all his deceitful lies. I cast them down and I choose to believe God's word. I am anointed of God for his ministry. I enjoy work. I have a teachable spirit. I don't think of myself more highly than I ought to. Pain cannot successfully come against my body because Jesus bore all my pain, sickness, and disease. I am a teacher of the word. I lay hands on the sick and they recover. I do what I say I will do. I get to where I am going on time. I don't hurry and I don't rush. I do one thing at a time. God opens my mouth and no man can shut it. When God shuts my mouth, no man can open it. The law of kindness always rules my tongue. As a man thinks in his heart, so is he. Therefore, all of my thoughts are positive. I don't allow the devil to use my spirit as a garbage dump by meditating on negative things that he offers me. I'm a believer, not a doubter. No weapon formed against me shall prosper. I'm slow to speak, quick to hear, slow to anger. I cast out devils and demons. Nothing deadly can ever harm me. I never attack a brother or sister of my, with the words of my mouth. I'm always a positive encouragement. 
I edify and build up. I never tear down or destroy. I cry out to the Most High who works on my behalf and rewards me. I am obedient and no rebellion operates in me. I use my time wisely. All of my prayer and study time is spent wisely. I walk in the Spirit at all times. All that I own is paid for. I own no man anything except to love Jesus. I love to bless people and to spread the gospel. I'm an intercessor. I never get tired or grow weary when studying the Word, praying, ministering, or praising. But I am alert and full of energy. As I study, I become more alert and more energized. I will study the Word of God. I will pray. I will never hate or walk in unforgiveness. I do not fear. I am not guilty. Yes, he's 11, and he does that every day. He does. Because I think it's important that he knows what God says and that I believe that as he says it over and over again, he will believe it. And he will, begin to, he will become what the Word says right there. We've got to begin to use our words to shape those around us for God's glory. And listen, times are becoming desperate in many ways. And we've got to be very careful of the words we speak. But we also can't keep our mouth shut. We've got to be willing to stand up, and we've got to be willing to declare the love and the truth of God's Word in the name of Jesus. We've got to make sure that the words we speak are words of life. It's time for us to begin to speak those words of life over our marriages, over our, over our children, over our homes, over our workplaces, over our friends, over our churches. It's time that we speak words of life to all those we come in contact with. We've been given a voice. And we've got to make the decision whether we're going to speak words of blessing or cursing, words of life or words of death. When we speak God's word, things will change. You know, we wonder, you hear a lot of people talking as of recent about why God would allow certain things in the world that we're seeing today. And I would say it's because the church hasn't stood up in one voice. It's time for us to stand up together and declare what God's Word says. And we will see the world change. Amen? Amen. Let's, uh, let's bow our heads together. We always take a moment right here at the end to give the opportunity to surrender your life to Jesus. You know, as we said a second ago, praying in the name of Jesus is only possible if we're in Jesus. Speaking those words of faith that can move mountains are only possible if we are part of that vine. If we've made Him the Lord, the Master, the ruler of our life. So that would be my question. Making Jesus Lord of your life is not some cute little prayer. Jesus, will you come into my heart? It's about surrender. It's about laying your life down. It's about laying your attitudes down. It's about laying your dreams down. It's about the moment when Jesus came to the disciples in the boat. They had their whole future laid out in front of them. They were fishermen. They were inheriting the family business. And Jesus said, walk away and follow me. And they walked away uncertain of what the future held. All they knew is they wanted to follow the master. That's what it means to say, Jesus, I need you to be Lord of my life. 
I want to give up my way of doing things. And I want to follow you. I lay it all down. I allow you to lead me. I allow you to direct my steps. I humble myself to the drawing of the Holy Spirit. And I give up. I give up doing things myself. Doing things in my own way, in my own strength. That's you and you. Maybe you've, I don't know, maybe you've never truly surrendered your life to Jesus before. And this is your moment. Or maybe you have, maybe you were born and raised in the church, but you recognize that Jesus isn't really Lord. I mean, it's a process for all of us, but you may realize that there's areas that you you totally need to surrender today. That he is very much not Lord of this area or that area. And even now, he may be touching an area of your heart and saying, what about this? And you've been holding it back for a long time and going, oh, Lord, not that. And he puts his finger on it and says, will you surrender this? If that's you, and you feel like you need to surrender an area of your life, you see an area that you're just not making progress on, maybe you feel like you've been going backwards, and you want to say, Lord, I surrender this to you. I lay it down at your feet. I allow you to deal with this in my life. Then this is your moment. If that's you and you would say, I want to give my life to Jesus today, or you would say, you know what? There's some areas of my life that I desperately need to surrender today. With every head bowed, lift your hand real quick so I can see it, so I can pray with you in just a moment. Man, amen. Who else? One, two, three, four, five, six, seven. Anybody else? would say, I need to eight, nine. Who else? I need to surrender. Ten. I so desperately need to surrender to Jesus today. Put your hands down. Even if you didn't lift your hand there in that moment, that's all right. The Bible says all you've got to do, you've got to confess with your mouth. Confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord. And you back that up with the belief in your heart. And the surrender of your will, you'll be saved. Let's all pray together. Dear God, I thank you for sending Jesus. I am so desperate for Jesus. I repent, Lord, of the way I've lived my life. I repent, Lord, for doing things my own way. I repent, Lord, for doing things my own strength. I give up today. I surrender today. I lay my life before you. And I say, God, have your way. Have your way in my life. Lead me and guide me, Lord. I thank you. I thank you, Jesus, for giving your life on that cross. I declare today that you are Lord of my life. You are the captain of this boat. Lead me. Guide me. I will follow you every day in Jesus' name. Holy Spirit, fill me now. Empower me to do all that you've called me to do. Lord, I will follow you every day to the end in Jesus' name. If you'd like to get more information about resources from Church of the Harvest, 
please check out our website at midsouthharvest.org. You may also contact us by phone at 662-890-1573 or toll free at 866-383-8277. You are Lord, I'm a sinner.